Real quick before we dive into this episode of the podcast, be sure to grab your free PDF copies of my latest books at frugal.show forward slash free. Now on to the show. I'm your host, Sarah St. John, and my guest today is the CEO and founder of Podmatch, Podcast SOP, and Pod Lottery. I am also honored to call him a friend. Welcome to the show for the second time, Alex Sanfilippo. Sarah, thank you so, so much for having me. It's an honor to be back here with you today. Yeah, you're actually the first person who's been on my show twice. No way, really? Yeah. I, I, was, th- I was thinking about that. Like, and here's, here's a quick side note. I love to call out prior episodes of shows, but I've been listening to your show for so long and know so many of the guests. I can't even do that. I'm just If this is your first episode you've listened to the show, go back and just listen to the last 20 of them alone or like blow your mind good. So, but hey, I'm honored. I, I wasn't sure if it was me or not, but I'm, I'm really happy to be here. So thank you. Well, awesome. Well, yeah, last time you were on, I don't know, it was probably almost three years ago, I guess. I think, so. I think it was like right after you launched Podmatch. So we didn't, maybe we touched on that. I don't remember, but I think we were talking more about like creating a brand, which was your podcast at the time. Yeah. But I definitely want to talk about Podmatch because I know you've bootstrapped that and that's kind of what this whole podcast is about. And I would just love to, I guess, starting out with kind of your background history, how you got the idea for Podmatch, how the development of all that and everything. Yeah, sure. And again, I, I love this show. I love frugal being a frugalpreneur myself. Like I really just respect what you do here, Sarah. So thank you again for having me and for, for what you do. Like you show people that it's possible by bringing on guests and myself included in that. So thank you for that. For me, yeah, like I, I came from big corporate. So that, that was like my background and that had funding, everything, right? And just being involved in that for so long, it never really bothered me, but I just knew my future was not going to have that in it. Let's put it that way. Like I just knew I didn't want to be in that because I see what it does to people and that's the pressure of it, right? When someone gives you a hundred grand and says, you better turn this into a million dollars, the pressure's on, right? Like that, anyway, and the more money you get, the bigger that number gets, the scarier it becomes. And you're now accountable for all that. It just turns into so much. So for me, it's not a bad or wrong thing. It's just not everyone's path. And I knew that wasn't going to be my path. So when I stepped into this space, knowing I wanted to be a full-time entrepreneur, I knew before I knew what I was going to do, then I wanted it to be bootstrapped, which for anyone listening who doesn't know what that means, it simply means it came out of my own wallet, right? And it's for like to make it as simple as possible. I knew that's what I wanted to do. Yes, here, you want me to, to drive back kind of like what led me up to Podmatch? Would that be helpful for everybody? Yeah, I think it would be. I'll break down entrepreneurship, what I've learned about it. And this was from my show that you referenced creating a brand. My goal with that show was to leave corporate. And I wanted to talk to people who had successfully left a nine to five job, pursue entrepreneurship full time and how they did it. So I'm going to way simplify this whole entrepreneurship thing and just four simple things. And again, I'm all credit to those past guests, right? They, they, they have amazing stories and they, they had like the actual ways to do this, but I'm going to simplify it to the, the core, if you will. The four steps are number one, find an area of passion. Step two, is to find the community within that area of passion. So again, for me, podcasting became my passion. I dove into that community. I started speaking at all the conferences. I started showing up everywhere. Step three is to find a problem that that community that you're now in is struggling with, a simple problem that they're struggling with, not a a complex one, something really easy they're struggling with. And number four is to offer a simple version of a solution for that simple problem that they're solving. Notice the word simple in there a lot, right? So that's kind of the idea of it. And so for me, what that looked like was again, realizing what passionate podcasting instead of aerospace where I came from and decided to dive all in in that, started speaking at the conferences. And I'll, I'll never forget it, Sarah. It was actually 2020. I think it was March, 2020, like right before the world shut down at that point, if anyone remembers that. 
And I was speaking at a conference and there's probably about 2000 people there podcasting related. And right when I got off stage, I made a point and I was ready with my notepad to write down every problem that a podcaster would tell me that they have. And whether you're a good or bad speaker, people line up to talk to you just because people are kind, right? So I knew I'd have a few people to talk to. And I just kept on writing down what everyone said. Because one of my questions was like, oh, thank you for listening to my talk. Hey, what are you struggling with right now in podcasting? And I kept on asking that question. And I, I heard a lot of things, but 100 people said the same exact thing, which is I'm having trouble finding great guests or ideal guests for my show. And so when I went back home and I looked at this and I did all those analytics, I'm like, wow, there was, there was some really weird ones. But there was 100 people that said exactly the same thing. And so what I did was I found out that, again, area of passion podcasting, got into the community, speaking at the conference. The simple solution they were looking for was how to find guests. And so what I did at that point, Sarah, I went to my whiteboards. At that point, the world shut down. I was still full-time in corporate, but I was like, you know what? I can knock them out with a job in eight hours. I don't have a 30-minute commute either way. I got an extra hour of my day now, right? So I just started whiteboarding out what this looked like. And I'm a firm believer in not reinventing the wheel. So I looked at, I was like, who, who does a good job connecting people together? And I was like, oh, dating apps. Dating apps do a great job. Not that I knew firsthand, Sarah. I've been married too long to have ever used one. So what I did is I immediately wrote down, like, what if this was like a dating app type of thing that connects guests and hosts together for interviews instead of people for dates? And I immediately called a friend who I was planning on hanging out with. And he went like, hey, man, I want to see you use, I think it was Hinge, was a dating app he was using. I'm like, I want to watch you use that tonight. So don't go through all your matches or whatever you get. And so I got to his place. I'm like, just use it. I just want to watch you use it. Going through, I started like, oh, what, what was that? Like, what are you doing there? And he kept, this is like a, a friend of mine who he's loud, like I am, like really loud. And he got really quiet. And I was like, maybe he doesn't want to do this with me. Maybe he feels awkward. Like, I just didn't even know what to say. We're really close. So at some point I was going to say something. He finally just goes, hey, you know what, man? Like, are you and Alicia okay? And I was like, yeah, we're great. Why? He's like, you're asking a lot of questions about the dating app. <laughs> and, and then I realized I didn't explain to him why I was interested in it. And I just laughed. I was like, oh, bro, dude, thank you for asking. I'm like, we're great. I'm trying to build something like this for podcasting. Anyway, long story short, that was kind of the funniest thing that ever happened, I'd say, in the space. But basically, what we built was Podmatch. And it's a way for guests and hosts to automatically find each other based through an AI algorithm that'll decide based off what your expertise is as a guest and what a host says they're looking for in a guest. And it'll match you together. But again, that's kind of how the whole thing came about. And obviously, we have a lot to fill in from like the bootstrap perspective and what that actually looked like, how that worked. But that's exactly how we launched the thing. I had the idea on March 10th, 2020. Then on June 15th, 2020, we launched into an early beta for people. So Sarah, I'm turning back over to you because I just talked way too much. <laughs> oh no, I appreciate it. Well, I love, first of all, that you had four steps that people can use to, to kind of figure out what they should be focusing on. And then that story, I hadn't heard that part about you hanging out with a friend yet. That's, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, you probably should have explained it to him beforehand definitely it makes little, little, a funny little story. side note there right like maybe i should have given some context context is important everybody was your intention when you went to this conference like did you go into this conference with the idea of asking people what their biggest hurdle is and like thinking i want to create a solution for that or was it just kind of spur of the moment like an idea you had and then I think a lot of people don't do that they launch something without doing the polling and whatnot beforehand yeah, I went there with intent. Again, going back to that four-step framework, like I knew that stepping into it that I wanted to. And But mm -hmm. in all fairness, I didn't know it was going to be software. Like in my mind, I didn't, because I'm not a software developer. And I, obviously we, we need to talk about that. That's going to come up. But I, I'm not that person. So in my head, I was thinking like, maybe it'll be some sort of masterclass, some sort of course. Like that's where my, my mind was at. It, it, but at the end of the day, most important thing to do is actually validate what you want to offer before you offer it. Because when you have that validation up front from again, 
the area of passion and the community within that passion that, that you want to serve, by being able to validate it, you're going to save yourself. I can't tell you how much time and money you will save because leading up to this, I was a side hustler. I had the, the full-time gig, which I loved, but I also was just a person who loved to do more work, right? So I always had side hustles, but I would build the side hustle. I had the build it and they will come mentality. And that just didn't work for me. It requires validation first. Just got good at understanding the point of that. And a side note here, Sarah, that I have to share. In order to validate properly, you have to ask good questions. Here's an example of that. This is like a bonus for everybody. I think you and I have actually talked about this before, Sarah. So sorry for sounding repetitive to you, but I think your listenership will really, the frugalpreneurs that are listening will really get value from this. If I went to my mom today and I was like, mom, I'm shutting down Podmatch and Podpros and all my other softwares because I got a great idea. She's like, oh, honey, what is it? What, tell me what you've got. I'm like, I'm going to make an umbrella that doesn't block out the sun or the rain. What do you think? My mom is going to go, oh, Alex, you're amazing. You're so smart. You're going to do so good. It's a great idea, right? Now, if I went to my mom and said, hey, mom, what would you think if somebody had an idea that they were pitching to me and they are wanting to build an umbrella that doesn't block out the sun or the rain? What do you think of that? She would go, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. All I did was rephrase the question and give my mom permission to break my heart without knowing she's breaking my heart. And because of that, I got an honest answer versus someone just wanting to please me. So when you're validating things, you can't just say, hey, I got an idea. I'm so excited about it. What do you think about it? Everyone is going to lie to you because they care about your feelings more than being honest, right? It's like a, a white lie in their mind that's going to cause you a ton of money in a year of your life. Let's put it that way. So again, figuring out how to phrase the question properly and going in with that intent with anything that you're doing is how you're going to be able to, to do this well. Not everything will be a slam dunk, but that's why I said simple problem, simple solution. And that's more that we'll talk about in a little bit here. But Sarah, that's kind of like to answer your question there and add a little bit of a, a bonus for everybody. Yeah, I love that analogy. So basically someone and be like, hey, so I heard, this person told me they had this idea for blah, blah, blah. And, let, and just see how they react versus exactly. Saying, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, I think you did you mention that in your speech at most recent conference? Yes, we, we were, we were in, was. You're in Vegas together. Uh -huh. I mentioned it there. Thank you for remembering that here. And I knew that we somehow I knew yeah. that we had a connection on that. But yes, I use that same analogy. You're right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, let's talk about bootstrapping. And yeah. you had mentioned that you're not a software guy. So if you could explain that, because yeah, people sure. are probably like, oh, well, then how does that work? <laughs> well, well for, first off, before I even share that, like I said, simple problem. Like we, March 10th is when I have the idea. June 15th is when we actually released the first version of it. People are like, wow, that's so fast. And it might be, but it's because we didn't even have a logo when we launched. We, we just did absolutely what I just called the MVP, minimum viable product, and offered it as ugly as we possibly could, right? A mutual friend of mine, Sarah's his name's Chris Kermitzos. He has a book called Start Ugly. And the idea is just give people exactly what they're asking for with no icing on it, with no sprinkles, right? Just the bare bones. You ask for a cake, here is the cake, right? And they're like, oh, it's disgusting. There's nothing on it. You're like, yeah, but you asked me for a cake. Am I in the right direction? Yeah, then you can add icing. Then you can add sprinkles, right? Like that's the whole idea of it. So for us, I just knew that before we put a year under our belt on this thing and make it beautiful and perfect, we've got to actually make sure it hits the mark. So step one, don't waste your time with all the little things that are going to make it a really great product. First, again, revalidate that it's actually solving a problem before you waste tons of time and money. So that's step one. But step two is if it's not in your skill set, you've got to find a partner if you want to bootstrap it. Jesse Hunter is my co-founder. We are 50-50 partners. Day one, we drafted up that paperwork. We each put $2,500 into account. And we said, this is all the money we will ever throw at this idea. So 5,000 total all in combined, right? 
And we said, we'll never throw another dollar at this. If this works with this, then great. If not, then we got to go back to the drawing board because we're not willing to invest all of our kids' futures, right? For lack of a better term. But I found that the, the talent that I needed. And that means that, yeah, you're not going to be a full owner and you got to find somebody that you work well with. But if I were not to hire Jesse, I'm telling you right now, I would have spent over a million dollars in development easily over the last three years, not just to get that first MVP, right? That may, might've been a hundred thousand or something, but still, I don't know about you, Sarah, but I don't have a hundred thousand dollars sitting in the bank at any given time. Or I'm like, sure, here you go. Give it a shot before like, let's get, let's do that. That's why people have to raise funding is they're like, I want to be a hundred percent owner. I need to go get some money. And then I'm not a hundred percent owner anyway, right? Like I just owe someone different the money. But for me, it all worked through partnership. I found the person that knew how to do what I didn't know how to do. I could do the sales side. I could do the marketing. I come up with a strategy. I can even develop, like I can show you what I want the product to look like. I just can't build it. And I don't want to spend $100,000 doing that. Can we each put this money in and go on 50-50? That to me, whether it's software, whatever it might be, build the gaps with a partner that again, you're well aligned with. And I, we can't really get into that today. It's not the, the point of this talk, but I'm just telling you, make sure you do a good job picking the right partners, but find the people that can fill in the gaps because those are the bootstrap companies that go really far, really fast without having to dive more money into it because you've got all the bases covered. Yeah, I love that. I'm curious real quick. Did So you knew him before, he, like he was a friend of yours? Yeah, You're, yeah. Jesse okay. and I had known each other for like 13. I was in his wedding. He was in my wedding. Like we'd known okay. each other for 13 years or something like that, which, which helps. I mean, look at your own network mm -hmm. first, right? But if I didn't know Jesse, I would have just started asking people in podcasting because anyone knew mm -hmm. a software podcaster, right? And then I'd probably have them on the podcast. I'd probably try to go on theirs to see, do we have that right synergy? Or do I already not like this person, right? So anyway, but for me, I happen to know the person. Look at your own network before you dive beyond that, I think is a really key point. So he he does the actual development of the software then? Correct. Yeah. Okay. And then, oh, because he's 50% owner. So basically, he contributed 50% upfront. And then I guess he makes 50% of profits and whatever. And, and so that way, you were able to avoid having pay someone. So the company now at this point, we used to just do distributions. Now we, mm. our CPA says you're big enough where you need to have like payroll, all that. So okay. like, I, and by the way, I hate that side of the business. Just so anyone knows, I don't even want to talk about that. But at first <laughs> we're just like, hey, whenever it starts making money, we did 50-50. We just split it down the middle and you get your check, I get my check, right? And that's literally how we did it. And we just said, hey, when we both agree that it's bringing in enough that we can pay ourselves and it doesn't all be reinvested, we'll do it. And and that was the, and that's why I liked 50-50 because the selfishness in any of us makes it want to be like, ooh, I want 60 and he has 40 because it was my idea, right? When you do 50-50, you both have the equal amount of skin in the game, right? Like, obviously, but you're both going to put in the same thing to get to that paycheck. I make a thousand, he makes a thousand. And knowing that kept us both on the same pace of like, I got to do, I want to keep on doing more. If I was even 55%, he's 45, subconsciously, the guy knows that I'm not really making what he is, right? I know that gets complicated if you have a third partner or a fourth partner, like what that actually looks like. I think the more even you can make it, again, it makes you have to be selfless, which neither of us had any issue with, but it makes you have to be selfless. But when you can do that, it gives everyone the same, the same idea in it. If he was a 20% owner, I guarantee you right now, he would have three or four side projects as well. And then he's barely focusing on what we're doing. We're both 110% in because we're both the exact even partner. As you're talking, I'm like running through my head. I don't know. At some point, I think I would like to partner with someone for some ideas I have. And so I'm like running through my head of different people in the podcasting space. Anyways, side note. I know if I could, I uh -huh. like to tell people this, dig your well before you're thirsty. Mm -hmm. Dig your well before you're thirsty. If I'm thirsty right now and I start looking out for water, I might not be able to find it. But if I already dug my well 
I can just be like, cool, I've got water here. And what that means is just start building those relationships now. If you think at some point in the future, you're going to need that, don't do it with like the mindset of like, oh, I'm going to get something from this person later. No, build the right. relationship now. If I didn't have that relationship fostered with Jesse for 13 years, I could have pitched it to him and be like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. That sounds risky. But he knew me. He trusted me already because I've been building it out for that long. So start building relationships today. And at some point, something might click. And you're like, you know what? I actually need this person. But I talked to them last week. It's not a problem. This should be like one of our normal conversations. That's a little, right. a little bonus for everybody there. So in terms of bootstrapping, okay, so the grand total that you started with was 5000 And right. as I understand it, you never had to take out a loan, credit, never had to get uh, venture capital, invest, any of this stuff. It was basically, I assume that as you made money, you just kind of reinvested it back in. How did that look? And then as far as actually like building out the software and then, of course, the marketing of it and all that kind of stuff, I'm kind of wondering whatever you're comfortable sharing as far as like maybe expenses involved in that. And like, well, first off, I'll mention this again, knowing my partner, my business partner, right? Jesse and I were both in good financial situations in our lives. Right. When we started, we both had full time jobs. And so we were able to still provide and we didn't putting twenty five hundred dollars in each account. Not that it wasn't a lot of money. That was, a, for me, a big investment. I had never made that sizable of an investment in anything other than real estate at that point. Right. Like that was just for me. I was like, wow, this is just an idea. I'm going to put twenty five hundred dollars in bet on my own idea. Like that was a lot for both of us. But we had money coming in. So there wasn't like from day one, like I'm like, Jesse, you done with the code yet? Because I need to eat. Right. It wasn't that. <laughs> And I think a lot of people who get into this, when they get the idea, they validate it, they get so excited, they quit too soon. And now the pressure is on and that causes friction between you and partners, between you and potential, for us, we call our, our people members, but for you, maybe your clients, right? It's going to start putting that on edge saying, hey, I need to eat. So you need to start working with me and paying me now because I'm hungry. The longer you can do without that, the better. And so for us, we have those full-time jobs. So when we launched, we did say we're not going to invest any more money in it, but we're still going to live our lives and build this on the side and just kind of see how it goes. And we, because we did that, it, had, it was real low pressure. And even when we did both decide to leave our jobs later on, we both, again, good financial situations back at home where it wasn't like, oh man, like we, we got to make more money or we're not going to leave, right? Like we were both able to do that. So I think that getting yourself disciplined today to live off of less will help you a lot. So my wife and I, even then, we... And, and same with the, the Hunter family, Jesse and his wife and kids, they already knew how to live on a budget really well. So they could easily look at, okay, if we're not going to pay ourselves a substantial amount for the next 12 months or 24 months in our case, right? It was our decision. We're able to see, okay, if I keep my budget on tact, I will have a couple of dollars left in the bank by the end of it before we start paying ourselves, right? So looking at that stuff, I think is so important up front and getting really good in the budget, knowing where to cut things out. You'd be shocked. And, and you know this, Sarah, like frugalpreneur yourself, right? Like, you know how much money we all spend on stuff that you're like, oh, that doesn't really cost that much. Until so you look at it on a year level or a decade level and you're like, oh my gosh, right? Like a bunch of people I know, they're like, oh, I don't really have any money. I'm like, do you have a Hulu subscription? Yeah. Do you have a Disney subscription? Yeah. Do you have this subscription? Yeah. What about that one? Yep. Yep. And I was like, just doing quick math. I'm like, you spend $4,000 and all that every year. Like what? I'm like, yeah, that's a really nice vacation, right? Like it is. And we just don't realize how much we're spending on these little things so we don't take the time to sit back and be like, do I, do I even use this? And every time when I do that, someone goes, I haven't even turned on Hulu in like a year. I'm like, yeah, well, you're paying them for it, right? Like, so it's like canceling all that stuff. And so for, for all of us, we just made that decision of what do we need, what do we not need, right? So again, that's kind of our foundation. And from there, we decided our growth strategy would be totally organic. We weren't going to start throwing money at ads. And to this day, we've never paid for 
any advertising. We've never done any sort of like big marketing campaigns, anything like that. It's been all natural, all organic, because that's what we wanted to actually, that's how we wanted to build it. Those are the people we want to attract. And we just went after that, which meant, meant I had to stay out of the code. Because at first, just like, maybe I can teach you some codes. So we can do this faster. And it's like, no, no, no. You need to focus on talking to as many people as you can every single day to bring them into what we're doing. And it's just worked really well for us. So to answer your last part of the question there, which was the expenses itself, given the fact that we didn't need to take paychecks immediately, we were able to reinvest it. We were able to reinvest all for the tool set. When we did launch on June 15th, within just three weeks, we had over a thousand people using the software, which we just had the right people helping us. Our posts did very well on the topic and it blew us out of the water was happening. But you need bigger servers, you need faster this, you need to increase your database, right? There was cost with all these things to make sure it didn't explode in everyone's face. And so we just kept on reinvesting it. So although like from day, from week three, I'll say we had income, we didn't even look at that as something that we could take. We looked at it as this is all got to go back into it to build up the infrastructure. It needs a strong foundation. And so again, none of our cost was external when it comes to growth. It's all internal based off the system. And some of those softwares are expensive. Like one of them, even to this day, Sarah, that we're, we're almost done building a replacement for of our own. But for one software plugin that we use, we spend about $40,000 a year on it. And like oh, wow. some of that stuff is so expensive because they, they have a market that they know, oh, you're doing this type of thing with AI, you need us. So we've just, again, been working on building ourselves out of that. And it's so funny. Our cost in about eight months from now will be less than it's been since we launched. And our oh, profit wow. is like grown a lot, but it's just a matter of like, do we have the time to build out what we're having to sub out and pay for? And it's just all the same thing. I talked about my personal budget. I took that same mentality into my business budget that I was building out as well to make sure that I actually was doing things correctly. Does that, does that make sense? Like I want to make sure mm -hmm. I was operating it the same way, not being like, it's company money. We're bringing income, spend it, spend it, spend it, right? No, like looking at it and saying, how can I be frugal in this so that at some point we can pay ourselves even though we don't need it today? And Sarah, anyway, I, sh I shared so much there, but I hope that's helpful. I tried to dive into every little thing there. <laughs> oh, no problem. I appreciate it. Didn't y'all build it on Bubble or at least initially? Yeah. And that's Bubble is what has a ton of cost. It's a no code solution for anyone wondering, like uh, I say no code, you still need a coder. They call it a no code solution, but if you don't understand code, you can't do it. <laughs> so yeah, so that's, that was our initial build out. We switched to some other softwares to kind of like stepping stones. So what's considered conventional coding which is literally ones and zeros, right? Like it's down to that level now. We want to fully own the code base itself because that's what brings the best experience for people. And then while we're recording this, I don't want to like date this or anything like that, but at this time, Bubble had in the last couple of weeks had multiple major failures. <clears throat> if we were still fully reliant on Bubble, there, is like a, there was like a 90% chance nothing that we have would have worked, right? And that's the problem with like building it that way. Also, it can get, like I said, get very expensive. At one point, with Bubble, when we realized we needed to switch, and this was a couple of years ago, they laid out their data of like how many people they have using it, what percentage everyone uses. And it was so public, we were able to actually do some quick math and we realized that they had like two or three million people using their solution or 200 pod or 100 pod matches. We were 1% of their total user base. So we were like, our company had grown so big and that's why we had reps internally that were calling us, hitting us up because we were their biggest customer by a long shot. Like no one was even close. Again, it was 100 of us or 2 million other people. Let's put it that way. And that's when we realized, you know what? They keep on wanting more money from us and they have their own agenda that doesn't match ours. We have to get out of here. And there's nothing wrong with it when you're building. It's a great way to get that MVP. And that's what we used it for. But then you need to get yourself out of it so you're not spending 
40 grand a year. That's one of the companies we were spending that much money with. And now it's among just a couple different software solutions. But again, getting it to that conventional code to keep that cost down, that profit up higher. Okay. Yeah. For some reason, I thought you were still with Bubble. Are you able to share like what kind of software you're using right now or plugins to yeah, make it? Well, it's, it's, it's a blend. So there's a lot of different things and I'm not really great on the technical side. There's a lot of things, but mostly now we're conventional. So I, I don't fully know what you build conventional on, but I think it's literally your own database and everything. Like it's, oh, it's okay. the thing is what I love about it, Sarah, is it's so unbelievably fast. Like what used to take, when mm -hmm. I say fast, we all know this when you're doing it, but not when you say it. It's like the difference between one second and like one one hundredth of a second clicks, right? And that's like how extreme it is. Like I use stuff, which when you say it doesn't sound like much, but I promise you, if something takes a second to load, you're like, what the heck is wrong with this thing, right? Like we all do that, but it's click and it's instantly, right? It, it flips over. So we're moving everything to that. So right now we're a blend, but we're almost to the point where we're just 100% conventional, which I'm super excited about. Because again, increased improvement in every single way and huge decrease in cost as well. Yeah, it does seem quite a bit faster than it used to be. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, take, it takes a lot of time to build that, though. And that's why I'm telling people, mm -hmm. like, build the MVP using a solution like Bubble. And there's plenty others that do similar stuff, right, to validate the, the, what you're doing. Because if we would have built this in conventional, it was a, a year and a half build versus under three mm -hmm. months. So that's the difference, right? Before you go all in on the, on the traditional coding, use a service that can help you out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then, like, from there, you've built podcast SOP, pod lottery. I'm curious kind of how you got the ideas for those and, and what that process was like. I assume it was similar in how you did pod match. Oh yeah. So for me, again, like the way we've marketed and stuff, I don't do a lot of external anything anymore. To build both those other solutions, which one is project management software specifically for podcast hosts to help them release their episodes on time. It's a beautiful checklist that you create yourself and you can do it every single time you're releasing episode. And pod lottery is a more or less a fun gamified way to do review swaps with other podcast hosts. Love it. It's been so much fun. I validated both those through our existing member base, through our community. I went to them and said, what else are you struggling with? What's next? And once you hit a certain threshold, not that it needs to be tens of thousands of people. As a matter of fact, if you have 100 loyal people, you can start probing for that. Once again, I go back to that hack I said earlier. Do not put yourself in the seat of, I have an idea. No, no. Someone I know had this idea. I don't know what I think about it. What do you think about it, right? More of that take. Because again, these people, they love you. They're going to lie to you really without even noticing. You want to pull yourself out of that equation. That's all we did. So we made a commitment. Now we're not even looking externally. Internally, the people who already trust us, what else can we do to help them succeed more as a podcaster? And that's how we built out those other two solutions. Your main company now is PodPros, which all of these fall under that umbrella, basically. Correct. And are there other ones that you're working on? I mean, I know you have like, pod awards and like all these other sites but as far as software goes is there anything else you're working on that you're able to share uh, sarah i'm an open book with you by the way you know that i'll tell you anything i wish there was more but i think we're at our capacity right now yeah and, and, and even like some people are like why did you why did you build out like pod pros as like a parent for all those and, like, and my simple solution is i wanted to continue to bootstrap which means not paying someone to run the social media for each of those things, right? There's no social media accounts for Podmatch or for Pod Lottery or for Podcast SOP. No blog for those things, no podcast form. It's all under the Pod Pro's name and it serves all those things. Because again, if you are going to properly be a frugalpreneur and you're going to properly bootstrap, you need to maximize not just how you save money, but also your time. Because time turns into money, right? I don't have five people working with me for social media. As a matter of fact, still to this day, there are three full-time people and two part-time people 
And that's, that's our whole company. And we're serving, we, I don't know exact number, but over our time, it's been like 40,000 people, right? And that, that's not a lot if you think about it, right? It's pretty crazy. And we don't need to hire more people as we grow. However, I would if I add more software at this point. I'd even need a developer. And right now, there we're really loving what I just call, and a lot of people frown upon this phase, but I call it a lifestyle business. We've not built an enterprise business. Again, we're not looking to scale it. So we're not looking to add 10 more employees. We're not looking for capital at this point. We love how we get to serve people and spend our time with them without being stressed every single day and being like, sorry, Sarah, I don't have time to spend any time with you and your audience. Can't do it today, right? Instead of the alternative, which would be going more enterprise level. So we, we like the pace of it. And sadly, it means maybe no more software for a while, right? We're going to really do our best to perfect what we have here before we add anything else. Let's put it that way. Or when we have the, the full budget in the bank to say, you know what? If we're going to pay someone a quarter million dollars a year to build out another product, we can now officially do that. I saw your face there. You're like, ooh, right? Yeah. And that's how I feel too. And that's why we're like, let's stick with three. We're, we're solving a lot of problems. And one more thing on that point, Sarah, I love collaborative partnerships with other people in podcasting. You will never see me launch a hosting software, like a software for podcast hosting. We work with hosting providers. You'll never see me build out some sort of AI copywriting tool. We just partner with those people. So for me, again, going back to my audience, figuring out they're struggling with, I give them direction as to what they should do next and who should they work with outside of our organization. So I don't have to always be the guy building out everything. I don't want to reinvent the wheel. If it's already out there, it's already serving, go for it. It's there, use it. We will direct you to what we believe is the best option for you. But I'm not going to be like, oh, we got to build one of these too. There's money on the table. No, because time is very important when you hit the level that we've hit. Yeah, I love that. And especially like the whole point about maximizing and minimizing. Like basically, I have a few different businesses actually, or, or at least several different websites and things I've tried and this, that, and the other. But I have one LLC and then everything else is a DBA under that. I don't know if that's how you have it set up, but I just think having an, an umbrella like that definitely simplifies. And, and like okay. you said, then you don't have to run a million different because now you just have pod pros on all the social platforms instead of having to have three on or right. at least three on all of the different platforms. It just becomes a pain. Exactly. Plus, I mean, I'd rather have five big accounts versus 25 small accounts. It yeah, just makes more sense. But exactly. That's our company structure as well. We have the main company, we have separate LLC. Like, I'm not that side of things. Again, mm -hmm. so there are some things you contract out. My CPA doesn't work for us, but he's on retainer. My lawyer doesn't work for us, but he's on retainer, right? We have those people that I say, hey, we have three companies now and they're all getting pretty big. What do we do? And he's like, cool, you used to use DBAs. Now we're gonna have separate LLCs for each of them, right? For asset protection and stuff like that. I'm not against doing that, but from day one, I meet a lot of people that go all out on the legal and the finance side. They build out these great, company structures, which is probably technically the way the government would like you to do it. But you're going to spend so much money before you have anything. I didn't file for a business until we launched it and actually made money. My CPA didn't like that. It's not necessarily the right way to do it. But if you're bootstrapping, sometimes you just got to get creative. It's the right way that a business actually launches, not from the government standpoint, but no offense to the government, but they don't know how to run a business. Look how in debt they are, right? They clearly, <laughs> and I'm not going to get into politics. I'm not like a political person, but doesn't take much of a genius to see that, hey, if you're losing billions of dollars a year, you don't know how to run a business, right? And they're trying to tell you, oh, you got to work on your company structure and tax and legal side first. That's not how real businesses are made. Real businesses are made with feet on the ground, getting messy, then calling people saying, hey, we got to straighten this thing out a little bit. Some people who hear this will think that's terrible advice, but I'm telling you, you want to maximize your profit, don't waste your time until you know you've actually got something. Build that stuff after. You will get yelled at by a lawyer. You will get yelled at by a CPA. That's the cost of being a real entrepreneur, though.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. What other tips would you have for bootstrapping? We talked about, you know, having a partner, having an MVP and things of that nature, you know, word of mouth instead of advertising. I guess what other kinds of things have you done that have been successful? Yeah, having a, a single track mind for a better term. I don't spread myself thin. When I got on here and, and I'm talking about this, notice I'm only talking about what I've done in podcasting, right? I don't have a side hustle. I don't also, and the truth is you have to give up some things. This is actually a little bit of a selfless act. I have other hobbies and things I love that I never talk about any, any of my social media platforms. None of my friends care about what I do on social media because they're not podcasters. My social media is not for my friends anymore. It is for my business. It is my personal brand. It is my professional brand. It's 110% of what I do. I have decided to devote it all to this. And what I find many of us do is we say, well, my personal Instagram is really where I talk about the things I love and my hobbies. If you want to succeed as an entrepreneur and you want to have organic growth, you have to sacrifice like you have to. And yes, I still post pictures of me and my wife. But if you read any of the captions, it talks about what we just achieved in podcasting or how we just were able to serve or what we're celebrating because of something we just did. Even like I love soccer. Occasionally I'll post about soccer, but guess what? I sponsor soccer teams now so that their lo my logo is on their jersey so that I can post about it, right? And so I think that a, a big thing is you have to become selfless and say, you know what? All the things that I love and my friends and family love to see about me, not going to happen anymore. I don't have any kids and I'm also actively preventing that. Sorry if that's TMI. But <laughs> if I were to have a kid, I would not post a picture of my kid unless they are wearing podcasting gear. It just wouldn't happen. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, that's not big mm -hmm. enough news in my world to be able to share with the people that I'm showing up to serve. Because I have, again, the selfless act is my social media is no longer me. It is my craft. So the, the big win I have here and the way that I've been able to grow and, and build out like audience, if you will, is the single track mind I have online. If you see anything Alex Sanfilippo in the last three years, it is only about podcasting. I won't post anything other than that anywhere. I won't share anything other than that anywhere. That is who I am. It's my full brand. Granted, if you met me in my personal life, you'd be like, wow, this guy doesn't really talk about podcasting much. No, because I love about 20 other things and like I'm super passionate about them. But online, I have devoted my time fully to this. So I think that that's a really, that's a hack that many of us get wrong because if I look at most people's social medias, I like can't even figure out who they are, what they do because there's so many different things that they're talking about. Find a way to get your personal professional brand on the one track mind of the single thing that you do. And that's how you develop some organic growth online. And now I have this like visual of if and when you ever have a baby of them oh you don't well well let's I'm, just pretend. absolutely preventing maybe, maybe i don't know I, my software is my baby right now for real i'm not just saying that like i'm terrified of the idea of being a parent let's put it that way well if you ever did i can see your first photo of them online is going to be them wearing like a pod pro shirt or something you know now like now i'm like wanting to leverage having a kid but here's what i'm thinking them in front of a mic wearing some headphones that'd be adorable as like a little baby but you can't have a kid just use as a marketing tactic, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or like if you, I don't think you have any pets, right? No, no pets either. So, my, my my pet is also my software. So. Oh, okay. Well, if you ever got a pet, you could be like, here's my pet. And they're wearing a pod pro shirt. I don't oh know. I just, You're giving me all these ideas. Now I want a dog, which I don't want a dog, but only to leverage it for social media. And maybe I need to like rent. I don't know if you can rent dogs. Can you do that? There used to be something you do with like Uber. It was like Uber pets or something like that. They, they can the idea. But anyway. I digress. Yeah, you're right. But yeah, I love that advice about the one track. And I think that's something I need to start implementing. Even if I post a personal photo of, say, I'm on vacation or something, find a way to incorporate 
yeah. what your business is in it. So yeah, I love that advice. That's something I'm going to start implementing right now. I think also kind of along those lines, sort of the trying to avoid shiny object syndrome, which that's that's a different topic, but kind of still on along the lines of like being one track because I think so many entrepreneurs have so many ideas and they're launching a million different things all the time. And even when one starts to take off, they're like, oh, but this other thing, I don't know. That's been a struggle of mine and several people oh, I've talked too. to. That's real. I mean, that's just, that is the, that is the struggle of an online creator. There are so mm -hmm. many things like YouTube starting to do podcasting, AI is, is on the rise, right? Like not the, any of these things are bad, but there's already always so much there. And Hey, Sarah, I can share my personal struggle with this. I, I've got one. And it's the collaborative opportunities that come my way. Again, I do love to collaborate, but probably there's at least five emails or messages every day specifically about, hey, I've got an idea that we can do together. I had to stop even responding. Alicia does. Like, we don't just ghost people. But it says, hey, I'm up for potentially collaborating, but we cannot create anything new. It's got to be existing what we already have. And we cannot devote any time to it. It has to be instantaneous and easy fix where there's no extra marketing, no extra anything. And 99.9% .9 people will go, well, well, that defeats the whole purpose, right? But there's that 0.1% that's like, yeah, perfect, we're good. And it was like Cap Show when they first came to me. Hey, you don't do anything with AI and that they're an AI like copywriter for podcasters, right? You don't do anything with this. Can you start recommending it to your podcasters? Easy, done. Did I want any commission? No, I want nothing. That's an easy value add to my audience with no extra work for either of us. And, and I like that, right? And then they recommend people to me. It's a beautiful partnership that we now have. But those shiny objects at first, I'd get on all these calls. And I'll tell you what, for like six months straight every day, I was on three to five calls a day with people pitching ideas. And I got so overwhelmed and my notes just fell behind more and more. I never was able to implement even a single one of them because they all seemed like they would have been really good ideas. But at the end of the day, if you can stay focused on the one problem that you solve the best without getting sidetracked, you're going to do better. One hack that I haven't implemented yet, but this is a great idea. I think that if you want to bet if people are serious when they want to partner and you're already working on something that's succeeding and doing well, tell them to write the press release of what would happen if you two work together. No one's going to do it, but if they do it, I would work with that person. If they clear enough know the value that we'd add together and what a press release would look like, then that would be worth doing. And I can't take credit for that originally. That is actually how Amazon launches new products and services. I don't mean like, like Amazon basics, like it's not how they recommend a new toothbrush, right? No, but it's if they're going to start offering books, right? Online, which is a terrible example because they started with that. But if they're going to start streaming movies or do this, they first have the team write the press release and pitch it to the higher level ups. And if the press release is good, they'll entertain it more. But before that, no work is allowed to happen. Because if you can't articulate in a press release of what's going to happen with someone's life as a result of what you built, it's not worth pursuing. I have not yet implemented that, but that's the next thing I'm going to implement on this. But that shiny object syndrome is the enemy of being a frugalpreneur. Because again, especially from your time standpoint, it's going to suck all of it away. I love that idea about the press release. I love also about the kind of the collaboration like with Capshow, for example, and I'm sure other softwares as well, where instead of you creating that, you know, it already exists. So why not help promote them and then vice versa, they promote you? Have you found that that has helped uh, on both ends quite a bit? Have you been able to kind of track how much business or and have they been able to track has come both ways from that? We could definitely do better on the tracking side, but just we do see the fact that people are coming from both. We every day we get testimonials for each other. 
comes from basically who your audience is, right? Who's interested in working with you, Sarah, isn't necessarily interested in working with me, but there might be some crossover they don't, they're not aware of unless you and I direct them to each other. It's easy. They have a different audience than I have. And now they're meshing together and becoming one community. And I think the more you can spread that into what you do, the sphere of influence, the industry that you're in, the better off you are from an organic marketing standpoint. Because now I don't know how many people use their software, but I'm guessing thousands of people have probably at least tested it. Those thousands of people that I don't know, I now know about, or they know about me at the very least. And I think that that's just a great way to, again, continue to grow organically. And the more collaborative opportunities you can build like that, the better, even better than you being the person to offer the solution. So mm. yeah, again, it's better that someone else does it because they're going to grow a different audience than you are anyway. So why not tell them about each other? Wow. Yeah, I feel like there's been a lot of valuable insight here, like you've talked about collaboration, MVPs, bootstrapping, partnerships, all of that. Like, I think so many good takeaways. Do you have any closing thoughts or things that we maybe didn't touch on that you wanted to? Yeah, the last thing I'll mention is whatever it is that you're building, product, service, anything like that, make sure that it has some factor for scalability, which just means start building your systems from day one. Doesn't sound like something that necessarily is, is frugal or saving a lot of time. The truth is if up front you can start building up those systems, it helps a lot. An example, when we switch our team from three people to four people and from four to five, the amount of training I did with those people was under 30 minutes from brand new to fully trained. And that saved me a lot of time because we just built out all the documentation, all the SOPs, the standard operating procedures. And then also when you're thinking about scalability of your business, product, service, whatever it is, also do things that don't scale. So like I'm saying, build it out for scalability, but also do things that don't scale. And what that means to me is do not lose touch with the person that you claim to be serving. Do not lose touch with the person you claim to be serving. Still to this day, I jump on calls with people who are brand new to podcasting, who just pod faded, who just launched, who have been in it for a long time, who've been using my service, who haven't been using my service. I make effort and time in my calendar to talk to those people, not because I want to convert them in any way, but because I want to learn from them because I can't lose touch with who the people I serve is. And many people, what happens is they build these businesses so big, they build this wall in front of them. They're like, I don't want to talk to the people anymore. I did that when I launched. And before you know it, you're on the wrong track when it comes to actually solving the problem that you're supposed to be solving. But the way to ensure that doesn't happen is to do things that don't scale by jumping on calls with individuals that probably can give you nothing in return other than the fact that you can continue to make sure I got a pulse on this thing. I know exactly where we're heading and it's in the right direction to serve people because I validated that yesterday, the day before, the week before that, and so on and so forth. So again, do things to build scalability, but also do things that don't scale intentionally to make sure that you're in the right market. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate your time today. It's been so fun catching up and kind of going through all the, how you started Podmatch and how you were able to bootstrap it and just all the tips that you've shared. The best place, I guess, for people to go would just be podpros.com, right? Because that's where all, or they can go to podmatch.com or podcastsop.com. Or yeah, I, I got something. That everyone, I always think about this, like where, where you want people to go. The best thing to right. do is I, I built out a page on Podpros. It's podpros.com forward slash win. It'll give you as a guest, a host. So podcasting, podcast, podcast host, or aspiring podcast guest or host. It'll give you five quick wins that you can read in under five minutes. I don't ask for your email address or anything like that. It's just on a page, podpros.com slash win. And that'll kind of give you an introduction to everything I do as well. But also, again, it can give you five quick wins to make sure that you're in the right space. And that's where I always like to send people, Sarah. But ultimately, hang out with Frugalpreneur herself. Sarah St. John, this is the place to hang out. I've been a huge fan of yours for a long time and just honored to have come back. Like to be your first repeat guest, I'm like amped up about it. 
Well, awesome. Well, I really appreciate your time today. Yeah, thank you again, Sarah. Appreciate it. Are you a frugalpreneur looking to connect with like-minded individuals? Join our community on Slack. Connect with fellow listeners, share your thoughts on episodes, engage in meaningful discussions, including money-saving tips and entrepreneurial insights, and help shape the future of the Frugalpreneur podcast. Plus, you can submit your questions in written or audio form to be featured on the show. Let's build a supportive space together. Join us now at frugal.show forward slash slack. See you on the inside.